0: Welcome to the Men of Iron Podcast, changing a culture one man at a time. At Men of Iron, we equip men and grow godly leaders through creating and sustaining one-to-one and micro-group mentorships. Go to menofiron.org more info. Thanks for listening. What is up, world? Welcome to the Men of Iron Podcast, episode 13. It's Steve and Justin live from Willow Street, PA. J-Dub, what's going on?
1: It looks like winter outside, huh?
0: Yeah, we got some fresh snow falling as we record. Yeah, yep.
1: pretty exciting. And it's probably always just like we were just talking about—a lot, lot of a bigger deal on from the weatherman standpoint than it actually will be
0: because it's. Yeah, it seems to be the case often. It's like ah,
1: it's snowmageddon.
0: <laughs> oh, it's just a little rain. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just some slush. Well, episode 23 is brought to you by the One Center for Leadership in Canton, Ohio, multiplying kingdom leaders through catalytic conferences, collaborative workspaces, and customized coaching. Go to OneCenter.com for more info. We will actually be out there this weekend. It's pretty exciting. It's going to be great. Man, Ohio launch happening at the One Center. We would love to introduce our special guest for episode 23, Tyler Reagan. Tyler is the president of Catalyst, a leadership development organization that exists to unify and equip leaders who love the church through resources and events. Tyler is a leadership coach, speaker, and author. His latest book is The Life-Giving Leader. He resides in Atlanta, Georgia with his wife and two boys. Tyler, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me. That's, yeah, I love that. It's my latest book. It's my only book, so that worked out too.
0: <laughs> it's funny, Justin. and I were actually just discussing that before we before we got on the call with you.
2: Yeah, it's. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on.
0: Yeah, man, it's an honor. So just yeah, just let us know who is Tyler Reagan.
2: Yeah, so we. Uh, I am uh, Georgia born and I uh, grew up here in Atlanta, and I've uh, got a wife of 17 years, Carrie, and our two boys are uh, our boys are 11 and eight, and so we're just kind of in the full throes of about to start middle school literally my oldest just got spacers in because he gets braces next week and i'm like i don't know how this happened like <laughs> i'm early 40s i have kids that are getting braces what i don't even like i remember that in my life you know what i mean so it's like this is it's <laughs> all weird so uh that's that's the highest priority in my life and uh you know other than my relationship with jesus and then um I get uh, my vocation. What I get to do is I get to lead uh, an organiza- organization called Catalyst. This year is actually our 20-year anniversary, and so it's a pretty cool awesome. pretty cool milestone for, um, you know, people that are in the kind of space we are, which is like Christian Conference and, and Leadership Development Space. Um, yeah. There aren't a ton; that really make it that long, so it's kind of neat for us to be able to celebrate that and cast a vision for what the next 20 years looks like. So we, re- we really just—our heartbeat is for leaders who love the church and, and the emerging generation of leaders, and so— mm we spend our days thinking about how do we raise the next generation of Christian leaders, whether they're in the workforce or in the marketplace or in the church mm. to lead it a way that, um, you know, really brings glory to God and brings mm. honor to him by how they take care of people. And so, uh, we spent a lot of time doing that. And, you know, we've been privileged to partner with folks like Andy Stanley for all 20 years. Uh, John Maxwell started catalyst 20 years ago. So, mm. wow. um, we spend a lot of time. That's what we do. And it's a really fun opportunity. And, uh, God's doing some really neat things there.
0: That's phenomenal. Well, we're going to hit you with take five if you're ready for it, Tyler. I'm ready. All right. All right. Take five. Question number one is what is your golf handicap? Uh, Currently, it's a 4.6. Wow. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, it's not bad. But we're going have to get you, we're gonna have to get you on months. the course with our president because he's, he's about a two, I think. Isn't yeah. He? Okay. yeah, I have been yeah. played about
2: two months, so it could be higher than that right now. But.
0: <laughs> well, it's better than Justin. I think, I don't know, I'm probably like a 24. I don't know, what do you, do I'm off the scale. <laughs> yeah.
2: They, they yeah. run out of handicap for you. <laughs> uh-huh,
0: yeah, he doesn't have one. All right, question number two is, who or what inspires you? Mm. Man, I, uh, my kids inspire me. My
2: wife inspires me. That's And I know that sounds um, simple and, and like you're supposed to say that, that really is true. And then outside of that, uh, really I great leadership. There's just something about men and women who take the the road less traveled when it comes to leading Mm -hmm. and who say, I'm going to do what it takes to be a leader filled with integrity and character, even though that often means the harder decisions. And it often means it takes longer and it often means you don't get the recognition and you just, I don't know. I'm inspired by the leaders that just are selfless and willing to put themselves out there and go, it, it's not about me. It's about other people. And uh, that, that inspires me like crazy. Mm,
0: that's awesome. Question number three for take five. You know, you, you talked about celebrating 20 years of Catalyst. What is your favorite Catalyst conference moment?
2: Ooh. Well, that's a good, uh, gosh, there's too many. That's, uh, <laughs> whew, um, you know, we've just had we've had some openers that I just love because they set the tone. Um, I, honestly, my favorite moment every year is our Thursday night session where we have a night of it's really like a night of worship and mm-hmm. a time to pivot from the inspiration of kind of this is what our theme is about today day two, which is going to be really practical. But this is our pivot to where we talk about your hearts. And uh, I think over the years, you know, we've had Jesus Culture lead, we had Bethel lead at, at um, West last year, and then we had belonging company lead um this year there's just something in the worship and then uh like robert madue did a talk at west last year and combine that with bethel worship it's a pretty Mm -hmm. good combination so it was we've just had some moments like that where i'm just like i can't believe i get to do this and so Mm -hmm. there's obviously been some crazy moments and some fun performers and different things but there's something about that moment that's so real and so genuine so needed for leaders Mm -hmm. so that that's usually my favorite moment every event.
0: awesome Take five, question number four is, what is your favorite date night spot with your wife?
2: Oh, well, she would say probably El Felix, which is a little, uh, a little Mexican spot down here close to us. Okay. And uh, she loves going there, and then we can walk around that area. There's a lot of good shops and desserts and things we do down there. Um, but we both love to go if we get a chance one or two times a year to sneak away for a day or two and go somewhere fun. Um, so... But that's probably the best. That, it, it, and then she likes to go to Target. So that's a really great date night. <laughs> but that, again, goes back to our age, right? Oh, oh that's we get funny. to go to Target without the kids? Fantastic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Sounds like my wife's favorite date spot, too. Yeah. <laughs> get a little Starbucks on, mm-hmm. on the way out, maybe. Uh huh. <laughs> All right. Take five. Question number five, Tyler's: What's the best book you read in
2: 2018?
0: In 2018, um, I
2: really love John Mark Comer's book, uh, God Has a Name. Uh, I think it's a fantastic book. Uh, I've got so many books. Good grief. I'm always bouncing between uh, different things. Uh, a friend of ours who's on our board is a young leader named Grant Skelton, wrote a book called The Passion Generation, where he's talking about, he feels that like he's 27. He feels like the millennial generation. What they want more than anything is discipleship. And so it's really a really wow. compelling book. I really enjoyed that. Um, gosh, see, I, get me started on that. I can get a lot, a lot of options, but... Um, <laughs> that's two good ones i really like both of those there's there you know how your brain just goes wow there's too many to choose from i guess Mm um but i like those two books and then we're gosh yeah i'm out i can't even keep going with it i feel like i'm just gonna stutter
0: (laughs) awesome awesome you survived take five you did well thank you yeah well we'd love to just kind of hear more about your journey um you know we obviously talked about you being the president of catalyst and and just how did you get here
2: yeah, that's a good question. Um, I still ask the Lord that quite often, um, or more. What were you thinking, Lord? Like this was this was part of the decision, huh? Um, like I said, grew up I uh, grew up here in Atlanta, low middle class. My dad's mechanic my whole life. Mom was I uh, uh, kind of just did different jobs and and then uh, went to the University of Georgia. Got well, I got saved in high school at a Southern Baptist church, and um, just as shallow as I am, this will tell you how shallow I am. Is I you know I. I never had a problem with Jesus. We grew up around the church because you grew up in the South, but, um, I just didn't like a lot of the people that represented him. And so (laughs) it just, they weren't fun. And I was thinking (laughs) to myself, I don't have a problem with Jesus, but I know there's a worldview that that comes with that. That means I'm probably not going to get to do some of the things that my friends do. (laughs) And if it's not fun, why would I want to do that? That sounds (laughs) like a high schooler, but that's what I was. So (laughs) um but then i met some some people in a youth group and it just changed everything for me i started seeing a different um a different abundant life type thing mm-hmm. a joy filled life and i thought now i can do that i'm in on that mm-hmm. and um then i went to the university of georgia got really involved at a campus ministry called the wesley foundation and one of the few moments in my life that i just keep looking back going thank you lord for that season um because we really felt like we watched a uh just a movement of god for four or five years we um when the campus pastor got there it was pretty straightforward kind of campus ministry he just started sharing the word and and talking about how the holy spirit moves in our lives and um he ended up lowering the attendance from 75 to 25 so that's a good growth plan and then hmm. um but that 25 was bought into the idea hmm. of revival and and spiritual awakening on our campus and university of Georgia is a huge school and um so these, these students, some someone would lay on the roof of the auditorium and pray over it all night, just that the Lord would show up and do things. And they were just built, they were bought into the idea that they may never see the fruit of their prayers, but that they were committed to it. And then when I got there, there were maybe 150 students. And then by the time we all graduated and worked there for a year, we had 1,500 on Wednesday nights. Wow. And uh, it was just a move of God. You can't explain it. me. It was just people paved the way through their prayers and their service. And then God just, and still to this day, 20 something years later, they averaged 1500 or so on Wednesday nights and God's just released a ton of leaders through that. So college was awesome for me. I loved it. You know, I'm a big Georgia football fan and, and still in counseling cause we can't win the big mm-hmm. game. And we have to deal with Alabama on a regular basis. So, you know, that just sends you into a little bit of a, a faith journey in its own right. <laughs> uh, so, but my wife, you know, I love golf. That's always been a part of my life uh, uh, after high school, grew up playing soccer. So in college I called the ministry. I really did. I, I once I got saved, a lot of people were like, you should go into ministry. And I think it's because I'm a fairly natural leader. But mm-hmm. I just was like, no, unless God calls me, I'm good. So I got my technology education degree. And then I uh, really felt one night at, at Wesley where I was, God just laid it. I mean, I just, it was clear as day that he was calling me into a lifelong a lifelong ministry. Mm. And um, so just kept my degree so that I could finish school. And, and then uh, was a youth pastor at an Episcopal church. Uh, that was a different turn of events for me. And um, the guy that was the, the the priest there, he came to the school and he said, Hey, some a couple of people recommended you. Would you, you know, he said, I'm a charismatic evangelical Episcopal priest. And I was like, I don't know what any of those things mean. Like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Uh, but I went for two years as a youth pastor there and I, I loved it. It wasn't, you know, the, the Anglican movement, the time Episcopalian for us, like, that wasn't for me, but I really. I'm glad I got to experience that for two years. And because what I do at Catalyst, we're not a church or denomination. It frees us up to really serve the entire body of Christ. And so my ecumenical background really adds to that. It allows me to see, you know, the different angles and what we got to do. And uh, so then I went to seminary at Gordon-Conwell up in Boston, up you guys' way. And uh, I mean, by by your way, I mean just like near there, like six, (laughs) seven hours near there. I'm not... Mm -hmm you know how it is when you grow up on the east coast and you think like seattle and la are just like down the street but you're not yeah it's it's pretty significant flight (laughs) um so i know you're not that close to boston but we loved it we froze we i don't like cold weather so that wasn't great but um great degree loved it i loved gordon conwell my wife and Mm -hmm. i had just been married and and so came back we're going to start a church with a friend here in atlanta and that didn't work out and uh, so we um kind of bounced around i worked at my best friend's dad boat shop for a while so you know all those young leaders that listen to this and go oh man you just jumped straight to catalyst and you guys both have probably a similar story like no 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 no." (laughs) Mm -hmm. let me tell you about the nine months working at a boat shop going god what are you doing like Mm -hmm. you know i've been following you i went to school i feel like you had these plans and then this plan this door closed and now this and now look what i'm doing is this really what you had planned and yet mm-hmm. every one of those parts of the process helped define you as a leader and mm-hmm. um and so yeah so then i ended up uh, starting a campus with north point called athens church and uh that's when i got involved with Andy stanley in that ministry and uh, we started a church in, in athens at the university of georgia i was there for about 14 15 months and then moved over to start one of the main campuses at north point and that was what i was doing when uh, when i got involved with catalyst so mm-hmm. uh yeah i was the service programming director there about eight years and then i was producing catalyst as a contractor so that was really what I was like creative directing and producing events was what I was doing oh, wow. for the church and then uh, produced cattle for a couple of years. And then they brought me over to um, really do two things, produce the events, be the creative director, but also really develop staff. That's what I, I love. I love leadership and I love the church. And so um, Brad Lominick, who was my predecessor, I, he brought me over to do those two things. And then about a year in, I took over for him and been leading it since then.
1: Wow. Awesome.
2: That was a long version. I don't know how long you want it, but that, no, like that gives you perfect. a little bit more detail.
1: And that's <laughs> the end of our podcast. There, we, there go. we go. It's been
2: fun, guys. Enjoy the big, deep snow.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I love it, man. I'd love to just kind of hear your, your thought on, you know, you mentioned, you know, talking about millennial generation, and you, you labeled them an emerging generation of leaders. And you even men- mentioned that book, The Passion Generation. and and I think millennials often get, you know, a bad rap in today's society. I just love to kind of hear what you've seen in equipping and, and developing leaders from this generation.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, it's really interesting. I wrote about this in the book a little bit, and I've heard Simon Sinek talk about millennials a ton. And, you know, one of the things he said at a catalyst stage was that uh, millennials, you know, everybody's, the older generation's going, they're, not, they're lazy, they don't want to work, this, that, and the other. And obviously there's the... The word entitlement is is huge word, kind of stereotypical label that's put over the entire generation. And um but he said, I think you're just misunderstood. And and he said, I think part of the the problem is, is the people who have enabled you to be entitled are your parents. Hmm. And so they're the ones leading you now, but they're frustrated with the ones that aren't their kids. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> Okay, interesting, we've got to figure this out. Um, i here's what i've learned most of our team is next generation leaders with the exception of a few of us uh old folks but um what i'm finding and i've I've always talked about this if you you know i'm gen x and so we had basically a generational label that was uh we don't really care about anything which is true okay we don't Mm um that what what the next or what the emerging generation and the the millennials seem to really care they're very purpose-driven which is way more purpose-driven than gen x was um And so what I'm seeing is, is how do we, you know, there's the passage in Proverbs, I forget exactly which proverb, but it says, "Zeal without knowledge is, it can be deadly. Mm. I think what we want to figure out is how do we take passion and purpose, such an ingrained part of the millennial generation and combine it with wisdom. And that's really what a lot, a lot of what I think discipleship and mentoring can bring to the table is Mm. love your passion, love your purpose, love the fact that you're fighting against the stereotype of being entitled i tell all our young leaders all the time if you want to break a stereotype you've got to go two miles even if you don't think it's you you got to go two miles in the opposite direction Mm -hmm. just to make sure that people realize wow you are different than what i thought and uh so for me i think the best like the the kryptonite for entitlement is just hard work Mm -hmm. like be a hard worker work your tail off this Mm -hmm. isn't a pay your dues thing like oh you got to pay your dues then you'll get no you work your tail off and honestly as believers i don't think we have a choice Mm-hmm. Like it's part of our divine directive that if we are if we are followers of Jesus, the word lazy should never come into our um, mm-hmm. our reputation or our perception. So, I, I believe in the next generation as much as anybody. I, I'm I'm all in and, and figuring out the nuances of leading them as part of leadership. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. baby boomers had to figure us out. So we got to figure out the next generation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good.
1: Yeah, and and this is kind of maybe a, a foundational question to kind of go back. What, Define leader. I mean, I think, I think we, th- we have a lot yep. of connotations and things when we think of, when we have that, that word out there. Te- yeah, tell us your perspective and definition of wh- what is a leader.
2: Yeah, you just keep it simple. I mean, John Maxwell used to say that leadership is influence. Mm-hmm. And so the way I describe it is how do you steward your influence? That's your leadership journey. So whether you're a stay-at-home mom, you're an insurance salesman, you're the pastor of a 2,000-person church, everybody has influence with somebody. And uh, I'll do this in, you know, when I'm speaking to college students. I'll say, so raise your hand if you've got influence with one or two other people. And Everybody can raise their hand. Mm-hmm. How you steward that relationship and that influence is your leadership journey. And the, the trick to that is so many people want the influence of the bigger group or of the more people or the platform but they're not willing to take care of the two or three that's in in front of them right now. Mm -hmm. And that's it. So that's me. The leadership journey is you take care of the two or three that's in front of you, the influence you have right now, you watch how quickly that'll become four and how quickly that'll become eight if you steward it really well. So it's a management thing. Mm -hmm. And I I think that just, that, that kind of demystifies the idea of leadership every now, there are different levels of it. Like, you know, people that are leaving, leading massive churches or leading organizations or businesses, there's a different skill set, but they're still doing the same exact thing, which is stewarding the influence they have to the best of their ability. And so um, I think for young leaders to recognize, man, I do have influence right now. That is my leadership responsibility and journey. And mm-hmm. I'm going to take care of it if I'm going to be seen or deemed worthy of, of handling more than that. Mm-hmm.
1: So t- would you say everyone then is a leader in some capacity?
2: I think everyone has influence and everyone has to steward that well. Mm-hmm. So yes, I do think, though, there is a difference in, like, upfront leadership. I mean, there's all kind of versions of it. But everybody has to recognize that they have a leadership journey that they're responsible for.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's good. I heard you say in an interview I was watching earlier this week in preparation for this, it was uh, had to do with caring for people. And you said if if you don't care for people, you're kind of putting a lid on your, like, capabilities as a leader.
2: Yeah. That, that that you know that's true too, right? Have you ever yeah. worked for somebody who you knew just wanted you to accomplish something but didn't care about you?
0: Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, uh, again, I, I know it's this is like my second Maxwell quote, which probably most people listening are like, "Who's that?" Um, <laughs> you know, it's just the Godfather like leadership, whatever. Oh, yeah. y'all. come on, like, <laughs> yeah. but he, uh, he he always says, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I have watched that live out time and time again. And I know I'm only in my young forties, and so. Those of you in your 60s that are going, yeah, young, like, but I have seen it. And I don't want to work for a leader who doesn't care about me. Mm-hmm. I don't care how noble the task is or how great the project is or how yep. much money the business makes. Uh, you know, there's a statistic, or there was an article by Inc. Magazine a few years ago that said 65% of people would take a new boss over a pay increase.
1: Hmm. Well, That's a wow.
2: big deal. Because you and I both know, it doesn't matter how much money you make, if you're miserable by mm-hmm. because of the leader in your world, it doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and money doesn't fix that. And, but when you're with a leader who's worth following, boy, that's a life changer. That makes mm-hmm. your family well. I always say this thing and I know it sounds kind of funny, but and again, it goes back to my, my shallow thinking, but I, um, I've always said that if the spouses or the significant others of my employees like me, then I feel like I'm leading at a pretty good level. And the reason mm-hmm. I say that is because if my team is going home Number one, they're going home. You know, like I spend more time encouraging people to go home mm. and take time to rest than I do mm. stay late and make sure that thing gets done. Yeah. Um, and they, there's times for both, right? But um, if the spouse is, not, if I'm not the center of their spouse's uh, frustration, then that means I'm doing something okay. I'm creating some sort of environment that they feel like they're flourishing in. And you know, when, when works rough, who's usually the center of the frustration? The boss, whoever's the leader, whoever's the whatever, like. Oh, if they would just see this, if they'd just get this right. If they'd get rid of that person, if they'd fix the money. if they, mm-hmm. But if, if I can do enough of those things pretty good, and the spouses, when they see me, they, they're they okay seeing me, you know, then then maybe I'm doing something all right.
0: Yeah, that's great. What would you say, Tyler, to that, you know, that leader? We talked about, you know, everybody has influence and everybody's a leader. What would you say to that, you know, that, that burnt-out pastor, that burnt-out leader, that even that burnt-out husband just kind of doesn't have anything else left in the tank i know you talked a lot about you know making sure your people are getting rest
2: yeah yeah so we you know the book when i I talk about life giving leader it comes from this idea um that we do at our events the the week of the event we always pray specifically lord would you let grace and life flow from our stage and not be required for our stage in other words, we want, we want it to flow one direction. And great leadership, life-giving leadership, is a, it, there's a direction of flow from the leader to the people they've been entrusted with or the people around them or whatever. When you lead poorly, you tend to require it from other people. They have to give you something, whether that's their emotion or their passion or their, their time or their, something physically or whatever you're taking from them. You know what I mean? Um, And to me, great leaders understand that it's, it's, there's a flow that needs to go the other direction, which is now if you don't, if you don't let the life, if you don't let life flow from you consistently, there's going to be a time. No, none of us are going to ever do it. We don't require it from somebody. The question is which way is it flowing most of the time? Right? So I, I bring that up because if you don't have something to give, there's nothing, there's no way that's going to flow the right direction. Like mm-hmm. if I don't have life to give to the people around me, I'm up a creek, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and so I would say this, I'd say number one, you, and I'm a fan last, last year, I went to a thing called onsite, which is a, uh, a week long kind of therapeutic, therapeutic retreat. They say it's, it's got, um, the amount of uh, group therapy that you go through is the equivalent of a year and a week and it was because i felt like some things in my that i grew up with specifically around finances and the way my what i grew up in financially i just i realized they were sneaking up into my my psyche in the way i think now Mm. and i just wanted to go deal with it and figure it out and go i don't want to keep tripping over that concept or that idea or you know Mm. that 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 pain really um so i i needed that to get refilled Mm. and I, i would just say you gotta do whatever it takes do whatever it takes to figure out what's blocking the flow of life into you. What are the things? Is there bitterness in your heart? Are there relational problems? Is there something you haven't dealt with that is from 10, 20, or two days ago? Mm-hmm. Like um, we've got to as leaders be open, and we've got to allow the Spirit to move through us. What can't? Mm-hmm. If there's bitterness in our heart, if there's roots of frustration and anger, if there's all this, we've got to deal with those things and get them out. So whether it's you know in your church because an elder board that's killing you. Uh, or if it's you know at at home Um, i remember hearing at the 10-year anniversary catalyst chuck Chuck swindoll did a talk and he talked about what he's learned in 50 years of ministry and so he is these 10 things but the third thing he said is that it's hardest at home Mm -hmm. and he was like it's hardest at home because you don't get applause at home and you don't get this and that and the other at home Mm -hmm. you've got to be dad at home or Mm -hmm. mom at home or whatever and and you know the things I do here most of the time is make sure the grass gets cut and make sure this, you know, uh, the leaves get blown. Like those, those are, those are like big accomplishments <laughs> in the Reagan household, but you know, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so having realistic expectations of, of home and work and all those things is, is important. So I just think, I, I really would just say, I don't care what it takes, figure out a way to get healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and because you're not good for anybody if you're not, if you're mm-hmm. completely burned out and empty, what's next is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: yeah, Tyler, do you feel like um, because and again going uh, big stage leaders, bigger you know platform leaders, right? There's been this kind of this feel in the past of do it do it on your own, buckle down, don't show weakness. Um, do you feel like that trend is is changing where more leaders are hearing that message that you're even sharing this idea of resting and taking care yeah. of yourself? Um, I, I do, hope do you see so. that changing?
2: I hope so. Um, I think you know. Just take the last five years and you think about significant ministries that have lost their leader to moral failure, mm-hmm. or some some other substance abuse, whatever it is. And I would bet if we could trace their story back, it comes from a place of burnout mm-hmm. and a place of. And the other big thing is they have separated themselves. Not every time, but almost you know you almost can see it. They have separated themselves out from the people that can call them out. Mm. they have started becoming isolated mm. and alienated. And, you know, there is the old adage that leadership is lonely at the top. Well, it's only lonely at the top if you bring nobody with you mm. and mm. it's lonely at the top. The only thing to me that is lonely about leadership is the weight of what you carry because mm-hmm. nobody else carries it. So, you know, when you're going through a tough financial time as a business, if you're the, if the buck stops with you, guess who feels it every night, every day? Is you. That's the weight. That is a lonely weight, but it doesn't mean you have to do it by yourself. And so I remember Craig Grishel at a one day used to say, you know, um, I just remember thinking that if I built this church, but I didn't have any friends at the end of the day, why am I doing this? Hmm. And so like, he's like, I want to make sure that I always bring my friends with me and mm-hmm. uh, that I, you know, so, but I have watched, I have a lot of close friends, uh, who have kind of lost, uh, their, their ministry and their influence because of isolating them from from themselves, from people who could speak into their lives and call out when they're not healthy. So mm-hmm. my prayer is yes. I hope that, you know, you bring in our, our theme this year has been fully alive, specifically around we've got to be healthy, whole leaders. Mm-hmm. And uh, oftentimes, I don't care how great you preach. If you your Monday through Friday's a hot mess, <laughs> it's not matching. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's things that, that aren't going well, and, and people are watching that
0: yeah that's good you know here at Men of iron we're very passionate about mentorship I and mean, it's what we do and you talked about yeah. you talked about leaders who have separated themselves from from people who have called them out and held them accountable who are those who are those individuals those mentors in your life tyler that have helped you become the leader you are today
2: yeah so i would you know um and one thing i always love this craig craig at our one days would always say to people who say hey you know i want to i want to have a mentor and he goes well who do you want to be mentored by And you know They said, well, I don't know. He's like, well, if you want to be mentored by John Maxwell, then go read his books. If you want to be mentored by Lisa Turkers, then go read her books. You know, like there's a, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a reality to learning from the people that you aspire to be around. The other thing though, is, um, you need relationships in your life that, uh, or maybe a season ahead who, um, and so I tell a lot of young, like college students, when I speak to them, I always talk about leaders or learners and and you got to learn how to ask great questions. I said, right now is the time to build your character. So, Why don't you pick one or two or three like a coach and then somebody you admire right now and say, I would like to take you to lunch or coffee. You pay in terms of like the one that's asking Mm -hmm. and then be really responsible with the time. Have your questions and a journal and say, here's the three questions that I've been thinking about that I'd like to ask you about. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when the time's up, close up your journal and say, thank you for the time. And what you'll watch is that person will see how respectful you were and how helpful it seemed to them. I bet they would do it again. And you never know what kind of that, that relationship turns into. So I say all that to say, you know, I worked with um, Andy for over a decade, Andy Stanley. And to get to sit under his leadership in a lot of meetings where, you know, it's it's uh, it really is just him processing leadership every week. Um, and I wouldn't say we were in this personal one-on-one relationship mentoring thing. But I would say no question Andy has been a, a mentor of my life uh, when it comes to leadership. Craig Rochelle has been a mentor of my life. Um, Lisa Turkers is a really close friend and, and I watch the way she leads and she's one of the best leaders I know.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: so I, I see that. And again, it's not her going, Hey, let me mentor you. It's not because we're kind of peers and friends, right. but what it is is we both have different things that we're offering each other in friendship that allows us to grow because we've learned from something else. So those two, but you know, through, throughout my life, like when I was in high school, where right I became a believer, my technology education teacher in the public school poured his life into me as mm-hmm. a believer. And that, that, his name's Coach Vandervelde, and he's still teaching 35 years, you know, mm-hmm. uh, of, of public school. But he awesome. he, he poured into me. Uh, my granddad early on, Tom Tanner, who was the Wesley Foundation campus pastor, just a few men specifically that um, really invested in me and started speaking life into me, um, bringing color out in places that were probably, uh, you know, gray or black and white. And um, so I'm, I'm crazy grateful for that. And I, I just made a kind of a rule. And um, that if, if a young leader ever asks me for a phone call or a lunch or whatever, I try to do it if I can. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's just an
0: important part of this, this discipleship journey. That's awesome. So if Justin and I are ever in the Atlanta area, we'll call you yeah. Come on
2: over. I'm serious. <laughs> I
0: love it. love it. Man, you guys, you know, you talked about doing this for 20 years. And how long have you been with Catalyst? I've been there seven seven years how how do you see just in those seven years and even in the 20 years altogether? how do you see catalysts creating change in the culture
2: that's a good question we uh, we like to we've always said that we are a community of change makers um we learned that we learned from andy that you you fall in love with the mission and not the model and um for us we have always been i would say quite theologically conservative but when it comes to model and program, it is as progressive as we can think about because mm-hmm. we're just going. Hey, to re-, and Craig's always said this: to reach people, nobody's reaching. You got to do things nobody's doing, mm-hmm. and um, that's a big deal. Like it's it's how, if that's not working anymore, we got to pivot. And so I think Catalyst is always trying to do that. And, and to be honest, we we've been praying about what are the new wine skins for Catalyst. It's twenty mm-hmm. years in does the big events at the arena work or do we need to adjust that? What does this look like? We're, you know, this year um, we usually do a bunch of one day events and then our, our two big events, West and East, but all we're going to focus on this year with it being the 20 year anniversary is West coast and, and, and about 10 weeks in, and um, Orange County and then Atlanta for the 20 year anniversary, the first week of October and just going, we're just giving it everything we have to go. What are the new wine scans? What do we, what are we going to cast? What anchor are we throwing in the next 10 years? that we want to present at catalyst atlanta so it's um it's a constant thing you know you're constantly going okay what is that next speaker Who's that next voice who's that next band who's that next idea but at the end of the day what's great about it is it all comes back to the same thing which is god's word and the holy spirit and allowing god to speak to us and so what we want to do what we strive to do is provide space for our heavenly father to meet with these leaders that's what we want to do and hopefully a space where they get better uh for monday and so I, I think if you stay with those simple things, how we do that doesn't really matter. Uh, it just matters that we are constantly praying for innovation from heaven, not from innovation from man. Mm.
0: That's good. That's awesome. Well, Tyler, man, that's our uh, 30 minutes. We appreciate your, your time, and, and it's an honor to have you on the podcast. We are we're big fans of Catalyst here at Men of Iron, and we just love what you guys are doing. You guys are, like you said, you guys are making some incredible change uh, in the in the church and in the culture and it's it's fun to watch
2: yeah thanks for having me yeah
0: we appreciate it thanks tyler well j-dub ohio launched this saturday at the one center in canton ohio what do you think man we're doing it, yeah, it's, we're gonna doing be, it. it's gonna be good saturday february 2nd mentor and protege training for northeast ohio so we're excited to be out there with our State Director BZ, mm-hmm. BZ holding it down in the Ohio area. I think the, the heat will be on inside for the morning,
1: probably. Yeah, I saw, it's gonna be the, a little cold.
0: I saw the high for today in Canton, Ohio. It was like one degree, so yeah. <laughs> hopefully it warms up by then. It is winter, folks. It uh, is winter. Man, well, thanks for tuning in to episode 23. For more info on Men of Iron, go to org. You can find the Men of Iron podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Video version will be up on our Facebook and YouTube page Thank you to Tyler Reagan again for being on this show. You can go to catalystleader.com to find out more info for resources and, of course, their big events of the year. Thank you to our today's sponsor, the One Center for Leadership. Talk to you guys later. We're out. Peace.